Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. I'm Dr. Philip Chan. Welcome, everyone. Dr. Chan, it is so fun to have Dr. Erica Howdy on our podcast today. Dr. Hardy, welcome so much to Public Health Out Loud. We're so glad you joined us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about vaccines and pregnancy, a topic that's timely, a topic that's near and dear to everyone's heart, I think, is, you know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. We have a pandemic. Thankfully, people are pregnant, but there's questions and concerns about whether people who are pregnant or think they might want to get pregnant should get the vaccine for COVID, and we're going to talk about that today. Um, but before we get started, Dr. Hardy, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, so I um, have been in Rhode Island for a while now. I did my medical training uh, here in Rhode Island. I was a medicine, internal medicine and pediatrics resident. So that's a dual residency in pediatrics and internal medicine. And then I went on to do an infectious disease fellowship up in Boston. And then I came back to Rhode Island uh, to work at women and infants. So I'm primarily an infectious disease physician at women and infants. And so we um, we treat uh, infectious diseases in pregnancy and um, also uh, folks with gynecologic cancers. And, um, and then I do a little bit of time um, taking care of patients living with HIV um, at Miriam and Rhode Island Hospital. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Hardy, for joining us. So uh, to the listeners out there, I've known Dr. Hardy for over a decade now, one of my uh, close ID colleagues, uh, really my go-to person for everything related to pregnancy, uh, pregnant women, lactating women, et cetera. So really, uh, really the leader in the state in that regard. So thank you again for joining us. So before we get started, uh, but just tell us about some general experiences that you've had. I mean, COVID, you know, the pandemic, the last year here, what's it been like uh, in uh, in your time at Women and Infants and in your experiences working with pregnant women during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think in the, in the beginning, um, you know, I know, a, you know, a lot of respiratory illnesses can be more severe in pregnancy. And I, we've seen that with, um, influenza. Um, you know, I remember being an infectious disease fellow, um, in, uh, when H1N1 season was going on in, uh, in 2009 and I was pregnant at the time. Um, so I remember that season well. Um, and, and we know that that can be a little bit more, um, severe in pregnancy. And so I think when we started to see cases of COVID, um, when we started to see cases of COVID, we were worried that that would end up being the same thing with COVID. Initially, uh, you know, we weren't seeing very severe disease. We had, of course, the whole spectrum, um, but we were seeing a lot of mild disease in pregnancy. We were, however, um, taking care of some pregnant women that did end up going to the ICU and being very sick with COVID uh, before, uh, before getting better. And, uh, you know, I think part of it is in general, women who are of reproductive age are otherwise young um, and otherwise healthy. And so I think, um, you know, that is protective in COVID. You know, sometimes we know COVID can hit a little bit harder in older patients, um, but we still wondered, you know, we didn't have enough data yet as often happens in pregnancy. It takes a little longer to study it. Um, we didn't have um, good data yet comparing young reproductive age women who were pregnant and non-pregnant. And then um, finally, uh, you know, this was later in the year, we started to have more information, you know, sort of late fall, like in November, um, some reports came out of uh, data collected by the CDC 
that there uh, were, even though overall uh, the risk of severe COVID disease is fairly low in young reproductive age women, uh, those women who are young but also pregnant um, had more severe disease. So they were admitted to the ICU more, uh, you know, they were admitted to, uh, they had to be mechanically ventilated or put on a breathing machine more than others. Um, and there was a little higher death rate. So I think, you know, as time went on, um, you know, we started to learn that what we were seeing, you know, it could be the COVID disease could be, uh, COVID could be pretty severe in pregnancy and a little bit more than non-pregnant women. Um, yeah, and Dr. Hardy, I, I want to just go back to a little bit of a conversation we had a while ago. You were, so you're an infectious disease doctor at Women Infants Hospital in Providence, Rhode Island. And I remember you were on our pandemic update for provider call. It was really early in the pandemic. I think it was last April or May. It was over a year ago, I think. And, you know, one of the things that Women Infants was doing was actually testing women when they were coming into the hospital for, for COVID. And I remember being surprised at how common it was. How common was it for women to be positive for COVID? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we were seeing rates that were similar to community rates um, in terms of positivity. And one of the things is, remember, you know, in the hospital setting, when a woman comes in um, to have her baby, um, they're in the, you know, in close contact with healthcare. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's nurses and physicians and midwives, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, birth partner. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks in the room caring for a woman, and you're with her for a long time. And so the risk of transmission to family members and, and things like that. And then the concern about after the baby's born, you know, transmitting COVID, if someone, if, if a mother is ill to the birth partner, um, to her family member, grandparents who could get very ill from COVID, things like that. Um, so, you know, the rates that we were seeing were fairly similar to our community rates. Yeah. And what are the, I think for the listeners here, what are uh, some of the outcomes that we see uh, in pregnant women who get COVID? And I guess in your experiences, are you aware of any, what's the worst outcome you've seen? Um, and have you seen any, have you seen any babies die potentially from COVID? So, you know, luckily we, we haven't, I know, you know, in the U S there have been uh, deaths in pregnancy from COVID. Um, we have had uh, uh, several women who are, you know, many women who have had to go all the way to ICU care um, and sometimes be uh, had to have help with breathing. So put on a mechanical ventilator um, in pregnancy. Um, some who have, uh, so, and then we worry about delivering early uh, for that, you know, to help the mother as well as the baby. Um, you know, if a healthy mother is the best thing for a healthy baby outcome. Um, so, you know, if the mom isn't getting oxygen to the lungs and, you know, then the, the infant isn't getting uh, oxygen, things like that through the placenta. So, um, you know, some infants probably had have to be delivered earlier than we would have liked had mom not had COVID. And we know that there can be an increased risk of preterm delivery and things like that with COVID. So, yeah, so I, I think the worst is uh, folks that did end up in the ICU for a while. They ultimately did recover. Um, but, you know, you want to you want to be with your new baby at home and, and not not in the hospital um, and having a long recovery. So yeah, no, no one wants to be sick. And I think, you know, yeah. <clears throat> I just think about when folks are pregnant, at the end of pregnancy. You know, mm -hmm. I just remember from my wife's experience and as a pediatrician, just seeing so many moms at the end. They're just so uncomfortable at the end. I, I just can't imagine what that's like to be sick. And I and I think. This really yeah. just underscores the power of prevention and why prevention is so important and really gets us Absolutely. to the vaccine conversation, right? And I think, yeah. you know, so what is what are the vaccines that are available for people who are pregnant right now? 
Yeah, so, um, you know, what ACOG has said is that uh, any of the vaccines shouldn't be withheld from pregnant women. Um, you know, the vaccines we have the most experience with in pregnancy now are the two mRNA vaccines. So um, the Pfizer vaccine and Moderna. Um, and those are what has been most studied in pregnancy. You know, as you know, with many medications and, and things like that, pregnant women are often not given the opportunity to be in clinical trials to study some of these uh, medications. And so we're left without a lot of data, especially in the beginning. Um, from a mechanistic standpoint, you know, how the vaccines work, we don't, they're, they're not expected to, you know, they don't enter the DNA. They're not expected to have any adverse effects on pregnancy or anything like that based on the way they work. Um, but we didn't have any information in the beginning about them. However, you know, because this is the middle of a pandemic, uh, pregnant women are otherwise young and healthy. Um, you know, the thought was that they should be able to make their own choice about whether or not to be vaccinated. And so many pregnant healthcare workers, um, you know, were first in line, uh, you know, to get vaccination, um, whether pregnant or lactating. Um, but now we do have more information. So, um, you know, the CDC, you know, when, uh, when most people get their vaccine, they sign up for vSafe. Um, which is the web-based program that texts you and asks you how you're feeling. Um, you know, have you um, had any side effects to vaccination? Have you gotten COVID? Things like that. Um, and so now more and more people have, and it's a pretty cool program. I mean, I did it when I got my vaccine and it's pretty neat. It sends you texts to see how you're doing. Um, and so we have more and more information about that now um, using all that data that's been compiled for people who self-reported pregnancy and had gotten the vaccine. So there's, and that just came out recently in the New England Journal, a report of that. So there's been about 35,000 uh, women who received vaccine who reported being pregnant. Um, and the CDC for those women, they have called on the phone to ask if they wanted to join a registry to learn more, you know, about birth outcomes, any adverse effects in pregnancy, any pre miscarriages, pregnancy losses, neonatal deaths, things like that. And so about, let me see, I think 30, about 4,000 women have signed up to be studied in that registry. And they just reported um, no, diff no real difference in side effects. Uh, pregnant women reported a little bit more soreness at the injection site, but a little less systemic symptoms, like less you know, chills, muscle aches, things like that than non-pregnant, but it was essentially the same. Um, so we think similar side effects to vaccine. Um, and then there were no differences in birth outcomes. Like they looked at um, uh, miscarriages, um, they looked at pregnancy loss, um, no neonatal deaths, um, and um, so that was very reassuring as well. So we do have, um, uh, they looked at preeclampsia, I'm just looking at the other preterm birth, congenital anomalies. Um, they looked at all that and there was no difference than background rates, like what we usually see of those things. So that was, so, so far it's reassuring. Yeah, so very reassuring. Let me ask you this, Dr. Hardy, you've sort of touched on uh, what we know now and what we're seeing, but is there any reason even to think that these vaccines may affect either uh, a pregnant woman, a developing fetus, and based also on the experiences, right, that we have dozens of approved vaccines. So is there any reason, just even based on the biology of why these vaccines may affect, a, you know, a fetus or a pregnant woman at all? Yeah, there's really not actually. And I think it's a great point that, you know, think about how many vaccines we do um, inside and outside of pregnancy. Even in pregnancy, we have, you know, the flu vaccine. Pregnant women are priority to receive flu vaccine. 
Um, there's a vaccine we do in pregnancy for whooping cough. Um, so, you know, um, and Dr. McDonald, you may remember this as well, but that vaccine um, is given to pregnant women in each pregnancy for the, um, uh, the antibodies that the uh, pregnant person produces to pass through the placenta and protect the infant, um, you know, before they're able to be vaccinated against whooping cough. So we have some preliminary data that that may be the same thing with the COVID vaccine. But I think to to also speak to your question, based on how these vaccines work, the mRNA vaccines work, you know, the mRNA is short-lived, doesn't enter the nucleus of the cell, doesn't affect the DNA. So the way it works, there's no, it's just, your, it just stimulates your regular old immune system that's constantly, you know, fighting things every day, whether you're pregnant or not. Um, and that's all, you know, that's all it's doing. And it's making spike proteins. So um, you know, there's no reason to think that it would affect fertility. Uh, you know, there's been some, um, uh, some really some misinformation that I think can be scary for pe people, um, both, um, both uh, males and females about vaccines causing infertility. And that's just been misinformation, um, perhaps not understanding how the vaccines work because um, there's no, there's no um, signal that it causes infertility or anything like that. And Dr. Hardy, I think, you know, it's interesting, you do talk about that safety signal we get, because there's really a robust yeah. monitoring system in the United States about vaccine safety. And, you know, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been in the news the last two weeks. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting, you know, that was in the news. And I, you know, I think it's important to distinguish. We have the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, which are messenger RNA vaccines. Mm -hmm. And the Johnson Johnson vaccine uses an adenovirus vector as a mm -hmm. delivery system. But, you know, I, I guess it was just thinking the CDC came out and basically cleared the Johnson Johnson vaccine with the proviso that this warning would be given about the vaccine clots. In other words, this thrombotic thrombocytopenia syndrome that occurs near as I can tell about one in every half million people, yeah. but it looked like it was mostly women. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the Johnson Johnson vaccine? What are you going to be telling your patients, by the way, in this area as well? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I think one of the things is that, you know, the monitoring system works the way it should. Um, you know, they uh, did a deep dive into, you know, did they find a lot more cases and things like that? I think we were all reassured that they, they really didn't. Um, you know, a few more cases, but not, uh, you know, hundreds of cases or anything like that. I think I would say, you know, in terms of vaccine and pregnancy, we, have, we now have more data with the other two vaccines. Um, and we know that safety signal, while very rare, because we have alternatives and because the signal we did have, um, most of the cases, not all, but most of the cases did happen in uh, younger reproductive age women, you know, um, that probably the information that we have the most of is the other vaccines. Um, so, you know, young women, pregnant women may want to prioritize getting the other vaccines if they have that option. You know, preventing COVID, if somebody didn't have any other option, you know, I do know pregnant people who received J&J &J in the past. Um, but if there's another option, you know, they may, we have more safety data now with that, um, you know, like the, like the CDC data that just came out with Moderna and Pfizer. It's a moving target, but that's what, that's what I would answer now. <laughs> and you touched on this, Dr. Hardy, but I just wanted to follow up on this too. Uh, one of the biggest uh, reasons for someone being hesitant about receiving one of these vaccines is that it may make you uh, infertile or it may cause, uh, cause you to be sterile. And how would you, how would you respond to that? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know where that came from. I think that it came from misinformation that perhaps COVID proteins and uh, 
human placental proteins are similar. That's actually not the case. Um, you know, and so both uh, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the Society for Reproductive Endocrinologists um, for Reproductive Medicine have all said there's no link. Um, you know, it just doesn't work that way. There's been no link between fertility and the mRNA vaccine. So there's really the way that it doesn't make scientific sense. It doesn't make sense with biology, um, but that may be where that came from. And then just not um, fully understanding how the vaccines work, which has, uh, you know, scared people, I think. So, but there really is no, that's just, um, you know, the, those, the proteins are different. Um, a vaccine that would stimulate your immune system to make uh, antibody um, wouldn't, stimulate your body to make antibody against COVID wouldn't also then make you infertile. And someone who is, has a placenta is also already pregnant. So, you know, that piece doesn't make sense as well also. So. You know, it is interesting, Dr. Hardy, you know, I think one of the things we're seeing is in, is sort of this cognitive dissonance in some ways. In other words, in nursing homes and assisted living, where some of the more severest cases have been noted, um, mm -hmm. some of the staff just aren't getting the vaccine. And it, it's a little bit hard because, yeah. you know, that's actually where patients have been dying. And I think I'm just thinking like, one of the things we've noticed, you know, doing a little bit of informal information gathering at the Rhode Island Department of Health is mm -hmm. the staff that aren't getting the vaccine tend to be younger women who, quite frankly, this whole fertility question is really uh, top of mind for them. And I, you know, I, you know, one of the things I, I think, you know, I've told my staff is, you know, we ask anyone just to ask questions, but, you know, let yeah. us know what your question is. You know, you know, no judgment here from the Red Island Department of Health. There is no judgment. Yeah. You can ask whatever question you want and, and we'll see what it is. And I guess I'm just thinking is like, do you have any advice for us as the Rhode Island Department of Health of what we should be doing to outreach our healthcare workers who are still a little bit lacking in vaccine confidence? Any thoughts for us on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's a when anything is new, I think I think two things, you know, I think when anything is new, we just sort of naturally are a little bit nervous. I mean, I know I was nervous even to get the first vaccine. I knew I didn't want COVID and I wanted to do everything I could to protect, um, you know, myself, my family, my patients um, from getting COVID. And so, you know, I had to sort of let my head take over and not sort of that little instinct like, oh, it's a, it's a newer vaccine. But then I had to think, you know what, the clinical trials are the same size as all the other vaccines I've gotten my whole life. Um, you know, and um, so, so I think just, a, uh, you know, asking patients like, do they, is there a specific thing they're worried about? And then, uh, you know, trying to answer their questions. Cause I think sometimes we, if we work um, in infectious disease all the time, or we're used to, um, you know, talking about vaccines or counseling about vaccines, we have a lot of information about them, but um, other people might not. And so they might have specific questions um, that you can provide. They might be looking for more information um, and that might be the helpful part. Um, there might be things that you think they're worried about that they're not worried about. So, you know, I think every person is gonna be individual and finding out, um, you know, asking what their specific worry is and, and asking, is there more information that you could use that would be helpful? Um, and I think the other piece of it is that remembering that the decision not to have a COVID vaccine also is a risk, right? Um, you know, so COVID is not great in pregnancy. We know it's more severe in pregnancy. You know, the CDC is, is going to recommend, uh, recommends that pregnant patients should be vaccinated. Um, you know, I think we don't think sometimes of not doing something being risky, but you really have to weigh the balance. Um, you know, COVID is not great in pregnancy. Um, you know, 
don't know in terms of like the ability to conceive, uh, you know, if somebody is ill with COVID, there's some patients who have a mild case of COVID, but then have really have lingering symptoms. Um, you know, we have a, a long COVID clinic that we've had patients who are really suffering, you know, even having had like a mild COVID illness and they've had months and months of lingering symptoms. And so I think anything we can do to prevent that is helpful. And so even though we don't think about that decision, of uh, you know, the decision not to vaccinate, that's a risk too. You're taking on the risk of possibly getting COVID and then all the unknowns that could happen with COVID. So um, that's a piece of it too. Great. Thank you, Dr. Hardy. And I guess what I'm taking away from this is that uh, if you are pregnant, uh, certainly the risks of getting COVID uh, can be significant. Uh, and uh, consider being vaccinated because the vaccine to date has shown to be uh, safe and effective, especially in pregnant women. So thank you for that uh, and for, for presenting uh, the data as well. One last question for you here. Uh, what's, uh, what's the first thing you're going to do after this pandemic's over? Oh, gosh, I know. <laughs> um, you know, I think one of the things that um, has been on hold is... Uh, in-person orchestra, actually, you know, I'm in the, uh, I play the violin and I'm in the Providence Medical Orchestra. Um, and when this, when this started in February, like we had to shut down in-person rehearsals and we had to figure out, oh gosh, does, you know, how much aerosol does a flute player produce? Or, you know, can we just have a string ensemble with us string players and masks and no clarinets or, or flutes, but our um, our conductor, John Masco actually pivoted and, and started the National Virtual Medical Orchestra, virtual, um, uh, Natural Virtual Medical Orchestra. And that's been fun, um, but it's not quite the same as playing music all in the same room with someone. So can't wait to do that. So Dr. Hart, if we want to listen to the National Virtual yeah. Medical Orchestra, give mm -hmm. me a website. There's gotta be one for that. Yeah, there is a website. Um, so uh, I think you would just Google National Virtual Medical Orchestra. Let me try it. Um, yeah, and it, it's interesting. I think you illustrate one of those key points is, you know, yeah. because the pandemic has a way of taking so much away from us, I think one of the things you illustrate is there's a way to actually not let that be taken away, but find an alternative way of expressing that desire. And I think that's where, yeah. you know, it's wonderful to see if, if physicians can find a way to do that, just to find, you know, it's interesting to me, like I'm, I'm not usually surprised when I find a physician is mm -hmm. actually able to play the violin and do something else that I consider, you know, just amazing here. But it is interesting, like there's this website called longwoodsymphony.org, which has got the National Virtual Medical mm -hmm. Orchestra there. So if folks are interested in longwoodsymphony.org, that's one way to listen to it. I want to thank Dr. Erica Hardy, our guest today, Infectious Disease Specialist from Women Infants Hospital in Providence, Rhode Island. It's been fun to talk about vaccine for folks who, who are considering getting pregnant or who are pregnant. You know, the data we have so far, as this vaccine's been out since December 14th, 2019, Rhode Island, is pretty robust that we've seen some pretty good outcomes so far. It certainly is a very safe and effective vaccine. And, you know, I think really one of the key messages is COVID is not safe. Uh, we know COVID is not a good disease to get. Uh, we do worry a little bit more and more about long COVID, uh, which is still a poorly defined disease that we're learning more about. And we'll talk more about that in this podcast and later episodes. But I really appreciate coming to join us today. Dr. Chan, we always go to you for our final word. What's the final word for today's episode? Thank you, Dr. McDonald. And thank you, Dr. Hardy, again for joining us. It's been a pleasure. In closing, I want to leave everyone with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is. Every morning we are born again. What we do today is what matters most. So continue to be safe. Tell someone you love them today and get vaccinated. Thank you all. 
and be well. I want to thank Josea Garcia, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, medical director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. Have a good and keep up the great.